This is Channel 253. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Jenny. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, empowering an informed electorate. I thought we were informing an empowered electorate. In in the the city city of destiny. Citizen Tacoma, my heart beats true blue. Citizen Tacoma, I'll always vote for you. Hi, Doug. Hi, Jenny. Today on Citizen Tacoma, we spoke with Lillian Hunter, who is running for Tacoma City Council Position 6, the at-large position. It was nice to talk to her. It was. It's important that we all get to know the candidates running for the at-large positions because they represent all of us. Indeed. Listen in. Welcome to Citizen Tacoma Podcast. Jenny, it's nice to be here. <laughs> this is a new experience for me. First I'm very podcast. appreciative it's of it. very exciting. Well, we start all of these podcasts with your Tacoma story. How long, when did you come here? How long have you been here? Uh, Where do you live? Where do you work? All of that. My Tacoma story started 48 years ago. Came here with my parents. We were Danish immigrants. We had hopscotched our way through Canada and into the United States and arrived in South Tacoma, where I attended Baker Junior High School, and then I graduated from Mount Tahoma High School. Why Tacoma? Well, I believe that um, Tacoma and the Northwest area reminded my parents of Scandinavia, and they had lived through the German occupation of World War II, and when they were able to, once they'd met each other and had a couple of kids, I was one of them, decided that they needed to leave Europe Mm -hmm. and um, found their way to the United States, chasing the dream. Hmm. But the Northwest was very reminiscent and is very mm-hmm. much like Scandinavia. Yeah. So I think there was a big draw there. And there is a Scandinavian base here mm-hmm. as well. And where do you live? I currently live in the South End. I live actually, I have lived and worked in all four corners of mm-hmm. the city in the 48 years that I've been here. Lived in the North End, lived in the South End, lived on East Tacoma, and uh, lived in West Tacoma. A few years ago, I found the absolute perfect <laughs> house without looking for it, quite by accident, back mm-hmm. in, the su- in the South End, not far from where I landed with my parents 48 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's, I've lived in marvelous homes all over Tacoma and great neighborhoods, and this one is by far the best house I've ever lived in in my house. I love the house. I love my neighborhood. It's great. We have so many lovely homes in Tacoma. I've been going on a lot of evening walks, and it's that time of year when you can see inside everybody's windows. <laughs> I like that. You're just, so candid about oh your gosh. lurking. That's I, good. Yes, I definitely <laughs> peek in windows at night. And just the other night we were on a walk, and it seemed like everybody's yard was perfect, and everybody had a little pop of color in the furniture on their porch, and everybody had some, like, twinkly lights out. It just Tacoma's magical. I agree. I agree. <laughs> um Can you please tell us a bit about um, your qualifications for this role? Well, one of my qualifications, because it's the at-large seat, which represents the entire city, is the fact that I've lived in Tacoma so long and I have lived in all of these neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. 
Part of the work that I've done over those 48 years, I spent 20 years working in private industry. I was uh, worked in healthcare, and I was a practice manager for some oral surgeons. But then I went into education. Mm. So I've been a high school teacher at Lincoln High School. I also was an administrator, assistant principal at Lincoln High School, mm. Wilson High School, and then principal at Oakland Alternative High School. And if you want to know what's happening in your <laughs> communities— work in a school. So I have that experience and that perspective of various neighborhoods doing that work. But I've also done a lot of uh, volunteer work and committee work. Um, I started out volunteering at uh, Raymond Hall early on. That was one of my first volunteer positions. We built a dental clinic up there back in the 80s, 70s Mm. or 80s. And then um, I also, in that time, I served two terms on the Tacoma Library Board, uh, where I fought for libraries in the city budget when everything was being slashed and burned. Mm. And I also currently serve, in addition to my day job, um, as a trustee at Bates Technical College. Mm -hmm. So I've lived all over the city, I've been engaged at various levels, and have really uh, had Tacoma's best interest at heart, a city that has been really good to me, and um, I feel Mm -hmm. like it's important for me to give back. So mm-hmm. for this next phase of my career, I'm going to focus on running hard, winning this seat, and then making, uh, reaching out and working with the citizens of Tacoma my new career. Your current job is the Director of Alternative Learning for Washington State. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about your position and how that prepares you for city council? Well, um, it is a, a leadership position in um, the statewide governance of public education. And it was a natural segue for me with the roles that I had both as a teacher and also as an administrator here in Tacoma and a few other school districts. When um, we talk about education, you hear the the term about all the kids in Mm. the state of Washington. Well, if we truly mean all the kids, then we need to mean just that and not just those that are easiest to serve. Mm-hmm. So alternative education provides a venue for students who are having challenges that are maybe more difficult to serve. And there's different ways of getting kids across the finish line, and alternative education provides that opportunity. How that prepares me for city government uh, is, number one, I understand the systems and what it takes when you have competing bureaucracies, you're setting a budget, you have to be accountable to taxpayers as stewards of the public dollar. But I also am very much aware of that in city government, we talk about that it's there for all of our citizens. From what I can see is that not all of our citizens and their needs and the neighborhoods in our city are being addressed. And so I'd Mm -hmm. like to bring that perspective about... um, looking at wholesale attention to all of the neighborhoods in Tacoma, not just the one or two that are kitschy and the easiest to love. Mm -hmm. Some of those neighborhoods that are struggling are the ones that need most of our attention, and we need to bring them up uh, to the level that all of the other neighborhoods in Tacoma enjoy. Hmm. Why did you decide to run? Well, I've touched on it a little bit. Yeah. You know, I've been in Tacoma a long time, enjoyed Tacoma, very dedicated to yeah. it, and, and um, uh, have enjoyed my time here, and I intend to spend the rest of my life here. This is my home. I'm not looking for something else. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, uh, my parents were very big on giving back to the community, and they were also very big on you either shut up or you step up. Um, that was like where there's no room yeah. for complaining here. It's either you be quiet or you take action. And the uh, being quiet, the shut up piece was never one of my strong suits. But getting in there, rolling up my sleeves and doing yeah. the work and recognizing what's good about the city and making more of that happen all the way across um, 
from all the corners of our city. Hmm. Hmm. You've touched on this a bit as well, but I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit about what issues you see as the most important facing Tacoma. Well, we have no shortage of issues. There's no question about that. And so I have learned as a candidate that I'm kind of separating them into two categories. One mm. would be the big picture category, and one would be the ones that are more personal and more neighborhood, uh, grassroots type of categories. And I thought that there would be more of the big picture issues, uh, the LNG plant, the detention center, the homeless situation, uh, those types of things when I went out door, knocking on doors. Mm -hmm. And while our citizens are very aware of, of those issues and care about those, they're also really concerned about issues that affect them personally in their homes. They're worried about safety. They're worried that they, um, there is no response when their houses are burglarized or their cars are tossed. Mm -hmm. They're also worried about the condition of their streets as they move forward. And they're, they also kind of, not all, but there is a feeling among people in neighborhoods and also some of the businesses that their voices are unheard, that they're being ignored. Hmm. So I would say that from the big issues, we certainly have to pay attention to that with regard to the issues that I said, the homeless issue, LNG plants, methanol. Um, how do we bring jobs here and get people off the freeway so they're not sitting there for hours on end breathing fumes? And then we also need to not lose sight of the foundational things and the responsibilities of the city of what we need to provide uh, our citizens for services. So we have to build a firm foundation, making sure that safety services are in place, infrastructure places are, or infrastructure plans and maintenance are in place, and then making sure that the outreach to citizens, that their voices are heard, are in place. And then we can also start looking at the big picture items. Hmm. Some of that seems to have been lost along the way. So I'd like to bring that back a little bit more. So your seat is the at-large position, yes. so you would be dealing with all of these issues all of the time as a representative of all of Tacoma. Yes. Can you uh, help our listeners to understand a little bit what the at-large position entails? So in our city government, um, on our city council, we have five different districts with uh, defined boundaries within our city. Those are represented by five individual council members. Then there are three at-large seats, which mm. are widespread um, and address the entire city, obviously. Mm. And then we have the mayor's position on there. The beauty behind the individual seats there for the districts is that these are individuals who become very um, become experts on the nuances and the needs of their community, their neighborhoods, and their districts, and what they represent. And of course, they advocate for that. What happens with the at-large seat, and this is what's attractive to me because it, it really correlates with education, how do you bring all of those needs and all of those interests together so that everybody is, I, I always use the term, keep everybody on the raft, and so mm -hmm. that we're not... Um, acknowledging the needs of one neighborhood over the other, showing favorites type of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think what happens with the at-large seat, or what I believe in critical role, the at-large seat, is to make sure that the needs of all the neighborhoods are being considered at the same time. You don't just have the district level or, or the district representative who's going to clearly advocate for their mm -hmm. um, district. 
So we want to hear that, look at how that plays out in the big picture, and then what can we do to collaborate and work together to make sure that we're serving all of our citizens with the equity um, that they deserve. Hmm. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back in just a moment after some words from Alaska Airlines. This is Nate Bowling, host of the Channel 253 sister show, The Nerd Farmer Podcast. Channel 253 is brought to you by Alaska Airlines. Alaska is our hometown airline. They have the best flights to where I want to go without having to stop in Dallas or Minneapolis on my way to get there. But even more than the flight times, I come back to Alaska because of the service I get when I'm in the air. You know I love the cheese plate. That's a must. And you know I love their craft beer selections. Alaska also has some sort of magic tech that lets me use chat apps on my phone for free so I can keep in touch with my friends on the ground. But you know, sometimes I want to pretend I'm unreachable for a moment too. So for that, Alaska has free movies I can watch on my phone. Seriously, it feels like magic. Try it next time you fly. Cheese plate, craft beer, free messaging and movies. You'll never look back. I'm Nate Bowling, Alaska Airlines MVP, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. We're back. Um, in your campaign literature, you mentioned, and you just previously mentioned, that you are an immigrant right. and that um, hard work and opportunities were the keys to your success. Would you say that immigrants who arrive in Tacoma today have similar opportunities to achieve success? Good question. Um, I think we look at citizens in Tacoma who arrive here. Uh, I think anyone who goes through an immigration process, however that happens, that there's fortitude and there's ambition there mm. because it is not an easy task um, to go through that process. It wasn't when we did it all those years ago, and it certainly isn't now. We also have the overlay uh, for immigrants now with the suspicion that mm -hmm. has been cast with what is happening at a national level, uh, heightened awareness there. So with those opportunities, and this is, is something I talk about in my literature too, is that we need to provide those opportunities for all of our citizens. And it's the loss of opportunity, the loss of good jobs in our neighborhoods. Where, where is the opportunity that's here and what do we do as a city to facilitate innovent, innovation, mm. entrepreneurship so that we create the jobs that result in those opportunities there? Um, my parents, when they came here, much like uh, immigrants today, my father worked during, uh, had his day job as a bricklayer. My mother did uh, babysitting. That was the early daycare, you know, yeah. let's have that Danish lady take care <laughs> of the kids. And we helped with that when we weren't in school. Dad came home. We had dinner. And then I went with my parents uh, to their night jobs as custodians. And my sister stayed at home with the kids. And my job was to clean. They were custodians at an IRS building in Ogden, Utah. <laughs> hmm. And my job was to clean the men's urinals because I was small and I could get in there and scrub. <laughs> that was what hard work was. And I'm not yeah. saying that that's what people have to go through. But the difference was is that my parents went after those jobs. They had several jobs, you know, to put it all together. Hmm. And when they applied for those jobs, there wasn't that question of like, well, who are you and where are you from and should you be here the suspicion wasn't there that you see today. So mm. I think that sort of there's that overlay of um, th that impacts the opportunities there. Mm. But I do believe that we need to wholesale, not only for our immigrant population, but for people who are here, who have been here for a long time, make sure that we are creating opportunities, that we are fostering those new jobs, that we are supporting businesses that create those jobs and smoothing the path to make that happen. 
As a city council, what can we do to get more jobs to Tacoma? Well, we as a city seem to be um, locked into waiting for the Prince Charming of economic development to ride in from faraway places. And Mm. the methanol debacle would be an example of that. And I don't want to be dismissive about recruiting businesses or making uh, Tacoma attractive to them. Um, I think it would be worthwhile for us to take a look at what Amazon's thinking about doing. They're abandoning their Seattle office. Let's just not have them go out of state. How about they just come south on the freeway a little bit and Tacoma could be a lovely place for them to be. But we also need to take a look at the businesses that are here, that have been here for a long time, that sustained the recession. They still hired people. They still kept people employed. And instead of the city approaching those businesses with, here's what we're going to do about taxing you a little bit more, we're going to make you pay more for your parking, pay more for your facilities, what if someone from the city said, you've got a great little business here, you employ five people, what would it take for you to get to 10 people? Or what would it take to get you from 10 to 20 people? Do Mm. you need a bigger facility? Could we help with that? Could we facilitate the permitting for that? Do you need help with training? Maybe we can partner you up with Bates Technical College and Mm. get the training that you need. So that we take a look at what's already here with some appreciative inquiry and say, instead of making it more difficult for you to do business here, how do we make it easier for you to do business, expand, and start creating those opportunities that we just talked about? Hmm. And would you say that's something that's not happening now? We're not, we're not properly supporting their businesses that are already here? Well, if you look at um, Russell Company left mm. here a few years ago as one of the... Um, Reasons, uh, or, or there were certainly more than one reason, but there was yeah. a dispute with the city about parking and the cost of parking. Look at how many jobs, good jobs, left with Russell Company. And so that we could get over parking, you know, that's hurtful. And now we see that DeVita is leaving. Good jobs are leaving with DeVita. So what has the city, I don't really know. I mean, I'm a candidate. I'm not Mm -hmm. in, in the mix. But there seems to be, a disconnect between how can we help the businesses that bring those jobs as opposed to what can we get from those businesses that are trying to survive. So it's nuanced, but I think there needs to be a shift in the mindset and a new appreciation for what those small businesses bring um, to this community. Hmm. I cannot let that interview go by without asking you about your thoughts and feelings about the activities in the port. Oh, well, the Port of Tacoma. Yes. Uh, you, that's good, and you would be remiss if you hadn't <laughs> asked me about that. So the focus on the port in the last year has certainly been around the methanol plant and now the LNG plant. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that the methanol plant, as you do the review and see that, was a non-starter from the get-go. There mm. was no reason why we had to have the largest methanol plant in the world that was going to export a product that was going to build plastics that were going to end up in third world. I mean, they're just, no, not good. And it certainly set the stage for the focus then to shift on the LNG. Hmm. But what a couple of things there. We go back to communication about decisions and what I said earlier about people feeling that their voices haven't been heard. That was sprung on people. Hmm. And if you look at the decision makers, there would be some pushback saying, well, we had community forums or we had, you know, Mm. opportunity for community input. If those opportunities for community input aren't broadly um, 
advertise. And when you have those opportunities for input and one person shows up, going back to the classroom, you haven't done a good job if you haven't gotten that kind of response. I use Mm -hmm. the example of I could teach a great lesson and have great handouts and whatnot. And if I give the test and 28 out of 30 students fail the test, that's not on the kids. That's on me. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened with the port with the LNG plant is people were surprised they had a lack of information and I think it's been a great lesson for communication and outreach for the city and the port I would hope that it is but having said that let's look wholesale at the port of Tacoma 31,000 people are employed there it is the gateway to a global economy mm. it is a it is a factor not only in our local economy but in the statewide economy and even beyond the jobs that are created outside of Tacoma where people are putting products together, loading them up, and getting them here is significant. So the idea that the port, employing all those people, um, is going to go away or stop doesn't mm. isn't realistic uh, on that. However, there are some things that we need to be doing at the port, even absent the LNG plant. And one of those things has to do with safety. If you do a perusal of the LNG, or excuse me, of the Port of Tacoma, you will see a number of industries, maritime, industrial, port industries, that have an element of risk to them for the workers, for the chemicals that they use, for the fuels that they use. We're not prepared as a city or as a port to be to respond in the event of an event. Hmm. The fire stations have been shuttered. We now have, in the last couple of weeks, Council Member Toms was instrumental in getting some funding back to open one of those. But our roadways going in are compromised. Our roadways coming out are compromised. We don't have the fire, the emergency response teams aren't going to be able to get in there. And when they get there, they may not necessarily have the training to respond appropriately to a chemical spill, to an industrial fire, or those types of things. We have some work to do wholesale at the port to restore those basic services. And the port, I believe, is deserving of those services because of the of the number of jobs and the revenues that they bring here. But we're also responsible for the, making sure that safety happens to the residents all the way around. So that is, and again, long history. I'm in my 23rd year in public education as a second career. We always looked at safety first. How would we take care of the kids? How do we take care of the staff? We planned, we planned, we planned. And yesterday was the anniversary of 9-11. In the years right after 9-11, there were teams that were picked from certain areas that went back east for um, intensive training on how you prepare a community. And I was selected to be on one of those teams. And it has um, every place that I go, I still see it through that lens. Safety, safety, safety. How do we take care of kids and staff when you're in high schools? How do we take care of workers in our community when you're on the port? Hmm. To circle back a little bit, um, I have to pin you down about whether or not you are pro or against the LNG plant. Well, I give you a qualified, (laughs) given that big dissertation I just gave you on safety, safety. We're not prepared to address safety issues in the port or with LNG. So my my. Here are a couple of things that I've I've said consistently. Number one, we need to look at 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 the safety. preparedness of Mm. the city there. Number two, I don't think it's beyond, uh, it's asking too much to look for the environmental impact statement. 
if indeed the environmental impact statements that they have demonstrate that it is safe and it's not going to impact the environment, I'll be the first one to say I'm really happy I was wrong or I'm really happy that we, you know, we, we were on the wrong track with that. We haven't seen that. The third major um, thing that um, influences my decision there has to do with the 1989-90 um, um, tribe land use agreement that came into uh, place at that time. That was the second largest land agreement with the tribe in the history of the United States. And it's all along the Hylobos waterway, which is exactly where the LNG plant is, is, going, is slated to go in. I need to know with some clarity how that affects that, that agreement, because whether you like the agreement or not is inconsequential. The agreement is there, and we have to honor the tenets of that. Mm. And if there's something that impacts that, that needs to be renegotiated. And that, to me, there is no wiggle room with that. And I don't buy the argument, well, the tribe hasn't done anything with the land. The tribe doesn't have to do anything with the land. It's their land to do is what they will. And we can't compromise with that, um, with the LNG plant for our convenience or what others think should be happening with that land. Hmm. Doug? <laughs> this so must, uh, he must well, be pulling like, faces I, no, over my back. No, but um, I, he's, he's the you one know, that like, keeps me honest I, with I, I asking like that question. Kind of dog, yeah. So um, I just want to make sure that he's satisfied. Before I'm satisfied. We move on. Okay. And I like the respect for the tribe. Yeah. Well, a lot of moving parts there, you yeah. know? And if you start just, well, don't get me going on this matter. Thank you, Doug. <laughs> I appreciate your insights on that because I have given it some thought and I am sincere in my um, position on that. Who was in this seat before? Uh, Victoria Woodard was in this seat, okay. and then she left the council a year ago to um, have the break and then uh, plan her uh, campaign for mayor. And so Lauren Walker currently right. is holding that, uh, holding the place, doing a wonderful job. So what would you say that Victoria did well in her position, and what, if anything, might you do differently? I think... Um, Victoria is very good at outreach to people. She's approachable. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she uh, operates from a position of wanting to do good things, and I don't see anything within how she operates now or, or in the two decades that I've known her that hints at malice or, or self-interest there. So I think mm. that that's very good um, and serves as an example to all of us. Um, what I would do differently is not just, uh, I don't want to isolate Victoria, but I'm going to go back to just, I believe we have um, our council members are wonderful individuals who, who want good things for Tacoma. There's no question about that as individuals. As a council wholesale, I want to reference back to my earlier community about people feeling that their voices aren't heard mm. and that uh, the genuine needs that they have have been ignored or disregarded. And I think we need to put structures in place to make sure that we're visible in the community, that we're outreach, that we're listening and taking the information from our citizens back to the decision makers and, and the planners in the city. And again... I go back to my experience for all those years working in outreach with in, in public education. As a principal, you have to be out in the community. You have to know your kids. You have to know their names. You have to know what the issues are. You cannot just sit in your office and go, well, nobody's come in here today with an issue. Life must be good in la-la land. It's mm -hmm. not the case. you got to get out there, engage, ask those questions, and be visible. 
And my intention is to retire from my job, (laughs) my wonderful job that I love working for OSPI and working for the children of the state of Washington. Um, And that's going to be my work is making sure I'm at the community gatherings, that I go to the faith-based organizations, that, you, you know, not the typical places, but just make an appearance and say, hey, I'm here. Not that I would have all of the answers, but I want to hear what you have to say and see if I can't connect you with the person who can help you the most at the Mm. city. Service for the people that elect us. There's a concept for you. (laughs) There it is. Hey, Lillian, I I, am about you had mentioned streets and the quality of the streets and and both in your literature and and today in the podcast. And uh, I was just uh, went over to my mother's house. My mother lives on the west side over by Pearl and 21st Street, 26th Street. And they're redoing all the streets over there. And as far as I can tell, there's nothing wrong with any of those streets. They're doing 20 Westgate Boulevard. They're doing mm-hmm. Hearst Street, Whitman, which is a big, wide. North 26. No problems yeah. whatsoever with these. North 26, yeah, North, and 17. Do you understand what the priorities are in terms of what is supposed to be fixed first in the streets initiative? Or is there transparency? Is there a way that people can find out what is going on? Because I'm, I'm confused. Well, I'm confused, too, particularly when you uh, – drive over on the east side of Tacoma, and there are roads that have never been paved. Right. Um, You know, the idea that uh, they would have potholes fixed, we would just like to get the street paved once so that we would have the opportunity to complain (laughs) about potholes in the future. And it goes back to, no, I I find it confusing, and it doesn't make sense, and and you're not the only one who has noticed that. And that's where we talk about, or where I talk about, all of the neighborhoods in one Tacoma, not just the more uh, the neighborhoods that uh, are more kitschy or more comfortable to be in. And I think in Tacoma we we do a good job of talking about equity, and then we kind of congratulate ourselves for talking about equity. But I'm not sure that we deploy it in our actions. And you've brought up a very good point here about if indeed we are committed to equity, why is it we still have dirt roads off of Fairbanks on the east side of Tacoma and we seem to be repaving seemingly good streets? Number one, it's not fair. And number two, it is not a good use of taxpayer dollars. We want to get as much bang for the buck when we, in you know, um, when we vote for those initiatives and we support those initiatives and to see decent roads getting repaved, knowing that there are uh, roads that have been unaddressed for decades, something doesn't um, add up there. Yeah. Thank you. And again, with communication, right? Like if somebody somewhere was communicating the logic of when and how and order of Tacoma streets being fixed, I don't know about it. Well, and if you right. had an op- if you had a forum where people could come and ask for it, and the only people who came and asked for it were from West Tacoma, good for them. But yeah. if you have, oftentimes our most disenfranchised populations are the ones that are non-English speaking, or they don't have the resources. They're intimidated about approaching, pub- you know, government. And if you throw the overlay of the immigration piece in there, you're not going to get a lot of people who are going to show up and say, "Could you pave the dirt road in front of my house?" Right. Uh, and that's where going back to being visible in the community and being a voice for that community and also supporting the city council member from those communities in the at-large um, role was saying we really need to pay attention here so that we can bring those neighborhoods up to speed. Mm. This has been a lovely interview, and we are all ready to the fun questions. Oh. 
I can't wait. <laughs> I'm all at Twitter here. Okay. Now, now when you ask these questions, yes. do I have to give you, uh, do you want a real answer, or am I at liberty to make something up that's vastly you can say entertaining? whatever you want. Okay, it's good to know what the parameters are here. Um, what is your favorite bar, restaurant? Where do you hang out in Tacoma? What's your local? Well, <clears throat> this is embarrassingly um, pedestrian here, uh, but I do like Fergie's up on McKinley Avenue because <laughs> nothing has changed in Fergie since 1950, and they love it, and they they don't make any apologies uh, for that. I've never been there. I'm so I'm being one of Fergie's, but as far as the bar scene, I kind of gave up the bar scene, or it gave up on me, you know, over a decade ago. And so yesterday I had a big day. I actually... Um, submitted my paperwork to the Department of Retirement System, so it was a big day. And to celebrate, I went to the Burger Ranch on 38th Street and got a medium-sized chocolate milkshake, and it was delicious. Did you dip french fries in it? No, I'm a purist. Mm. Just give me the chocolate and the calories. Gotcha. Clean. Yeah. Have you ever dipped a french fry in your chocolate milkshake? No, I dipped my french fries in the hot fudge sundae that we got at Dairy Queen, and that was when I attended Mount Tahoma, and we snuck off campus. We went up to Dairy Queen, and you did. You got a sundae with the vanilla ice cream, big batch of those fries, which were real potatoes at that time, Back just the right day. amount of grease. And yes. Yeah, it was a beautiful marriage. It was ah, a wonderful beautiful. thing to behold. She went from <laughs> milkshake days. to hot fudge. That's, mm. that's one step up. I think yeah. we're hungry. Uh, do you have any pets? Oh, yes. Please tell us about them. Well, I have uh, three dogs. I had four dogs when the campaign started. And oh, I'm one sorry. One of my little dogs went to dog heaven, and I've told this story a number of times. Um, in the day, I had a boxer. And if, mm. I, if you were to ask me what kind of a breed do you, you know, I'd yeah. say boxer, but I live alone now. And if you want to have a house when you get home, you don't leave a boxer there <laughs> right. during the day. So a number of years ago, um, I'd had some good dogs, and they made their, their natural transition out of this life. One of the teachers at my school knew that and started to tell me this woeful story about her neighbor who had to give up one of his dogs. And, you know, he was going to take the dog to the pound. And you know what happens when the dogs go to the big house? Well, long story short, I end home taking this little beagle home named Junior. <laughs> and Junior was a great dog. I had about a five-year run with him. He was an older dog. And then um, he passed, and I ended up taking him down the emergency hospital, and we had a sad ending. It's a sad day. The next day, I got a phone call from a lovely woman connected to Seattle Beagle Rescue. Hmm. Out of the blue, she calls me up, and of course I'm weeping. She says, Lillian, we understand you lost this dog. I <laughs> They're did. well you know, connected. And I'm crying. She says, oh, yeah, they're great dogs. You know, and she says, all these appropriate, just kind of drawing me in. And then at one point she says, well, you know, we have these other dogs in foster care. So I said, look, Connie, I probably in the future will take a dog from you or two because I always have my house set up responsibly to be for dogs. And they said, well, right now I'm mourning. I'm mourning mm. the passing of this dog. I need to process this loss. And I don't know. How long is that? Is it a day? Is it a week? <laughs> you know, Oprah hasn't covered that yet. Exactly. So I need some guidance on mm. that. Her words to me were, and I quote, well, we get that, Lillian. And while you're processing the loss of this dog, why don't you process if this is the week one good dog goes down or three? And I knew at that moment, I knew, Jenny, at that moment that I would burn in hell if I didn't take those dogs. So So I took took all three of them. Well, I took two. two. 
And then a few years later, um, when I lost one of those dogs, they called again. So actually, yeah, I ended up with four dogs, three rescue beagles, and then a charming bulldog who migrated over from my neighbor's house a few years ago. (laughs) Four dogs is too much. I'm not going to be the crazy old lady who's got all those dogs. Um, But I knew it wouldn't be forever because the dogs are older. So I'm really, I am tied into Seattle Beagle Rescue or Rescue Dogs now because we're all God's creatures. We need a place to land. and. When she called me last summer, um, I hadn't heard from her for 10 years. And then I got on Facebook to promote myself getting ready for the campaign. I hadn't been on there for a week or two, and she called. I picked up the phone, <laughs> recognized her voice, and oh I gosh. thought, oh, God, I'm going to have more dogs by the time this conversation's <laughs> over. And I do. Yeah. So, you've ne- yeah. You've never been so happy to have the screws put to you, have you? Well, you know— <laughs> Something's got to get you into having Doug. That might be my ticket there. So I'm not. I'm not going to be dismissive of you know creating some goodwill in the universe there. So you have three beagles now. I have two beagles, two beagles now and, and a bulldog. bulldog. And what are bulldog. their names? Um, well, we have um, Bandit, Mac. Those are the beagles. They're brothers. They're bonded. They do everything together. And then I have TK, the bulldog, and he's <laughs> he's like a big bag of cement with um, legs on him, and he's yeah. kind of gruff, and he's just absolutely <laughs> lovable and is wondering mm. to this day why I allowed those other beagles to join us a year yes. ago. Yes. Yeah. So You had a good thing going, and then those yeah. Mac and Bandit yeah. came in. What can we say? <laughs> Do you have dogs? Oh. My art, yeah, no. <laughs> my dog died after she was fifteen when she died about two years ago. Oh, and so it breaks your heart, doesn't it? Yeah, but we yeah. are we're definitely ready for another dog sometime well, soon. Connie from Seattle Beagle Rescue, you heard it here first <laughs> that we've got Jenny ready for uh, considering yeah, another dog. Yeah, um, we're kind of waiting for. Yeah. Um, our our last dog kind of landed in our laps when we had our hearts opened to a possibility of a dog, and then the most perfect dog in the world became available from a friend of a friend. And there you so go. I just feel like it's going to happen sometime soon. It will. Um, yes. Yeah. All right. Um, what is the most interesting thing that has happened to you while doorbelling? Wow. Um, <laughs> Interesting slash terrifying slash uh, pleasant, unpleasant. Well, I've met lovely people. There's no yes. question about that. Most people are pretty welcoming um, if you can actually find somebody at home. So yeah. that's 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 the key. I, you can doorbell for four hours, and if you've actually talked to ten people, that's that's a, that's a good you day. Know, that's a good day on that. So. Um, I was doorbelling, um, well, this was early on in in the rainy season, and I had kind of lost um, sight of what I might look like having been trudging through the rain for several hours. And um, so I knocked on a door, and a lovely young woman answers, and her little son kind of peeks around, and he was about five or six, and I started in on the shtick of, you yeah. know, hi, I'm Lily, and I've been doing all that. And she looked at me, and she said, I think you need to come in. Oh, <laughs> And no. so I was like, well, this is nice, because I thought she wanted yeah. to talk about my issues or whatnot. No, I got in. She took my rain, just drenched coat, got me a towel, got me a cup of tea, <laughs> and said, okay, you got our vote. 
but it's time for you to go home. Can we drive you home? I mean, oh. and so I don't know if that was the strangest thing, but it was certainly one of the <laughs> kindest things. And she had a little Sheltie dog who sat in my lap. And I had about a good half an hour of visit with these people. Oh. And um, I must have just really looked like a drowned rat. <laughs> and it was pathetic. But um, I got a vote, I think. So, oh, hey. I love that. Yeah, she was really Hooray good. And actually, Tacoma. that was my neighborhood of, of where I live. And so it really pleases me and warms my heart that not only do we have that caliber of person in Tacoma, she lives probably about six blocks from me. So it's very great. I love it. Um, have, what is your favorite book or have you read anything good lately that you can recommend? Well, I know you don't get a lot of chance to read in the middle of a campaign. But. Well, I, um, you know, graduate school kind of ruined me. And then postgraduate school, I did the first third of a doctorate to get my superintendent's credential. And so when I pick up something that resembles fiction, it, it's, it's like I, I, I feel guilty, like I should be reading <laughs> a journal article or, or something like that. Yeah. But I did happen upon a book a few years ago that I have um, actually read so many times that I've replaced it once. And it was, it's a book called Change Your Die by Alan Deutschman. Hmm. And I have it back on the coffee table now, yeah. taking a look at it. It talks about the challenges of change and systemic change and getting it to stick. And that the reality is, um, and I'm, I'm really doing a, not a very good job of honoring Deutschman's work here, is that people would rather die than change if they're familiar with something. And he uses the healthcare industry and the prevalence of heart disease where people have a heart attack and they're told, you need to quit smoking, you need to watch your diet, you need to start exercising, and if you don't, you're going to die. Mm. And more often than not, that people go back to that. So how do we work with people and how do we, um, you know, help them understand the benefits to the change and stay with that? And he uh, takes that out and he also uh, gives very good examples about working with people who have come out of jail and mm. um, reducing recidivism by getting them to accept the changes and start seeing how things can be done better. Hmm. So it's really good, and I reflect on that when I think about things that have been difficult for me to change. You know, why is it? Why do we cling to what's right. familiar as opposed to letting go of that and embracing something that's different and ultimately better for all of us? So might be able to use some of his insights on the city council. It's hmm. fascinating. Um, how about movies? Do you ever watch movies? I'm I'm have turned into the ultimate binge uh, watcher, and <laughs> oh, I yes. have an Amazon Fire Stick and a Netflix uh, <laughs> subscription now, okay. and I really I mean this is like uh, I've arrived here. So uh, House of Cards is yes, is yes. a great one. Um, I really enjoyed that uh, political thriller, and um, so I've been getting caught up on some sci-fi uh, mm -hmm. types of things there. But I will just say that more for just binge-watching series that I hadn't been able to watch. Yeah. And um, I'd like to go back and uh, probably um, spend a little bit more time uh, with some of the BBC series, like the Doctor Who series and yeah. that type of thing. Because they're just sort of, you know, they're so out there. Mm. If you like sci-fi, you should try to check out Orphan Black if you haven't already. Oh, yes. Have been like Orphan one? Black. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love that it was one. <laughs> exhausting just watching, you know, Tatiana. Tatiana Maslany, I think is her All name. those roles and I doing know. it so You completely forget that it's the same person while you're yeah. watching it. It's crazy. Yeah. Good um, stuff there. So 
I keep asking people this question, and I feel like it's a bad question, but it is my lead into <laughs> some information. <laughs> but um, do you remember when you registered to vote or who you might have been excited to vote for for the first time? Is that something that stuck with you? Yeah. Um, boy, it was, uh, I'm trying to think, probably, well, it would have been back in the 70s mm. that we did that. And, well, I'll just give you some insight. When we turned, uh, when we came to this country, we got our citizenship. My parents started working on that immediately mm. because we were here, we were citizens, we were going to engage in the yeah. process because they had lived through a time when that had been taken away. So there was no question on your 18th birthday you were going to register to vote and then you were right. going to vote after that. So what I so I do remember that registering to vote. What I remember is going to the Camelot Apartments, uh, and it was a presidential race that year. Who would that have been? Um, the Camelot Apartments. The Camelot Apartments. Kennedy, obviously. Yeah. Well, it was it was after Kennedy. It was after Johnson. It was you know <laughs> I think it was Nixon might have been yeah um, there. And the polls had closed, and the lines were so long. This is when we went into the little booth, and yeah. you, pr- you know, pulled the handle, and the and the curtain closed behind. It was very ceremonial. I kind yeah. of liked it. And then you hit all these little switches, and then you started thinking about the patterns and paying attention and all that. But I remember staying at the Camelot Apartments and voting for the first time in a presidential race at about midnight. They let wow. us vote. And sitting on the floor, and I thought, I'm not leaving until I vote. You know, I didn't care. I think it had already been decided because we'd gotten the yeah. East Coast um, results back at that point. But, yep, sat on the floor in the in the community area there, Camelot Apartments, and <laughs> by golly, there were, there were a handful. We weren't leaving until we were able to go in that booth and make that vote. I wonder when it was that the polling rules changed because now they don't let you do that, right? I mean, clearly we have mail-in ballots, but I I, I don't know. Do they let you stay after the polls close? Well, we have places? we have um, in in here in Pierce County. We have um, you, you vote by ballot that you yeah. mail in, and so it's been made much easier for us to do that instead of showing up all at one day in mass. And you see yeah. across the country where that creates problems, yeah. and you see where voters have been, you know ostensibly denied their right to vote. So my hat's off to uh, Kathy Pearsall-Stipek, who was Pierce County Auditor, who really pushed that about two decades ago. Mm. And so now people get their ballots and they have time to really thoughtfully look at that, read the voter's guide, see the literature that they have, and make a more informed, thoughtful decision without having to worry about polls closing because they couldn't get there in time to do it. There are definitely pros and cons. I just miss the ceremony of it all. But. I do as well, <laughs> and I li- and I miss getting my little sticker. Getting I voted, sticker, and yeah. I would always run. You know, you'd run into your neighbors because it would be you know your neighborhood polling place, and but. And we always liked the ladies that were. You yeah, always seem to the be the ladies, ladies that you know are really good book. at reading upside down. And yes, book. and you say absolutely. <laughs> They're at the same place. Yes, I met those ladies too, and you, you got to give them God love them for 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 stepping up and doing that. Yes. Well, the reason I ask that question is that I like to remind people that October 9th is the last day to register to vote for the general. And you can do that by going to co.pierce.wa.us or in person at the election center or by calling 798-7427. 
Great. And while you're online there, go to <laughs> www.electlillianhunter.com. Find out some more information about me, my issues, my platform, and my contact information is there as well as my email. Shoot me an email. Let me know what you're thinking. And um, if my platform is to reach out to people and make sure voices are heard, that starts right now. I'm not going to wait till after the election. Well, thank you so much for coming on the okay. show today, Lillian. Thank All right. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Doug. Thanks so much for listening to Citizen Tacoma Podcast today. We are part of the Channel 253 Network, where you can also find the Move to Tacoma Podcast, as well as the Nerd Farmer Podcast. And the Flounders B-Team Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you've heard on the show today, or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, maybe there's something you've been wondering about that maybe we can investigate for you, please contact me at jennyjacobs253 at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Citizen Tacoma. Citizen Tacoma Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.